it would be easy to mistake Kate Forsyth for a typical dog person. Dogs just move through the world with so much delight. Every single thing that they do is a source of delight to them, and that's very infectious. You know, they teach you to enjoy the feel of soft air on your face, the warmth of the sun on your back, uh, a drink of cold water when you're really thirsty, uh, you know, meeting you know, a, a potential friend. Every dog is a potential friend for Lola. You're listening to Oh My Dog. I'm Michelle Ransom-Hughes, and this is the story of Kate and Lola, her Rhodesian Ridgeback puppy. We were up in the park a few days ago, and Lola goes gambling up to a little girl, and she screamed and began to run away. And I said to her quite firmly, I said, stand still. Do not move, do not scream, cross your arms across your chest and look Lola in the eye. And she did exactly what I told her to do and immediately Lola stopped leaping and was calm. And then I made Lola sit and I let the little girl pat her ears. Her ears are like velvet, they're so beautiful. You know, let her pat Lola and talk to her a, a little bit about how important it is not to run and scream because the dog will always chase you because you it, it thinks that you're wanting to play and then I went on my way such a shame that that little girl's mother hasn't taught her because if she had run and screamed and Lola had knocked her over she'd be terrified and that would feed through into her relationships with other dogs in her life cement that feeling. yeah and then she would probably not ever want a dog and she'd probably not let her children have dogs and this would be inherited this fear of dogs the day we met up to record Kate described herself to me as an evangelist for dogs. She said it with a laugh, but she meant it. To understand why this fervour for dogs is surprising, you need to know that when she was two, Kate was nearly killed by a savage dog. I can remember when I was a little girl, I was never afraid of dogs, and so I've actually broken up dog fights with my bare hands because I always thought, no, dogs know that one of them harmed me no dog is ever going to hurt me again. So Kate thought for a time that surviving the attack had given her power over dogs. It hadn't. But when you think about what happened to her as a child, a complete absence of fear is hard to believe until you see Kate with Lola. It's a dazzling Sydney spring morning. Kate settles Lola in the back seat of her postbox red convertible and drives us to Sandy Bay, a small cove on the harbour set aside for off-leash dogs. Lola, sitting on her haunches, is as tall as a person, even though she's only nine months old, and she makes small excited whines as we wind through the leafy streets to the water. The top of the car is down. Everything around sparkles. At the beach, Lola leaps from the car and gallops to join her pack, a handful of handsome dogs consulting nosewise on the sand. 
The water's clear and shallow for about 30 metres out. The little bay is edged by a yacht mooring, and beyond that's the harbour. We've arrived at dog heaven. Kate leaves her shoes in the car, strides over the grass and the shore, and wades right into the water. Today's pack is a young husky cross, a Weimarana, a sturdy brown lab, a gutsy grey staffy, and Lola. And it is on. They race and wrestle. There's a lot of argy-bargy, growling and fur in mouths. They smash into each other mid-air. They rumble on the sand and seem to fly across the water. In contention, a bright blue frisbee and a tennis ball. In full flight, Lola's speed and elevation are untouchable. One of the other dog people thinks Lola's getting rough. And her bark does sound ferocious. Lola's been trained not to bark, but every so often she forgets herself. Soon, most of the other dogs have left. And Kate's throwing a stick for Lola, who hasn't yet had enough. Lola's like a cartoon dog, you know. I mean, like, you know, you catch her in photographs and the, and the tongue's kind of, you know, flopping out of her mouth, spraying saliva and it, one ear's up and one is inside out and, you know, her paws going all over the place. You know, people often call her Scooby-Doo. She's a little goofy, but she's also lithe, sleek and limber. The Rhodesian Ridgeback, once known as the African Lion Hound, was developed when wild African dogs were bred with Great Danes and greyhounds, among others. I've been a little afraid of these dogs in the past, but Kate scoffs at the idea they might be menacing. So my sister and I, we, well, we used to dress the dogs up. I mean, I want you to imagine a very large Rhodesian Ridgeback with a tutu on and a crown or, a, you know, a halo of flowers drooping over one ear. You know, they're so sweet-natured. They would just sigh and then let you dress them up. They are big dogs and they're powerful dogs. They're very fast and they are, you know, they're um, scent hounds. So, um, of course, they need to be trained properly. But in general, you know, Ridgebacks are very sweet-natured, very gentle. Lola knows that she's a dog, but as far as she's concerned, her, her job is to guard us, to herd us, to keep us together, um, and to... Um, I guess just to love us. Driving back to the house from the beach, Lola, from the back seat, tries to rest her lovely, wet head on my shoulder. It was a similarly sunny day, not far from Sandy Bay, more than 40 years ago. Two-year-old Kate and her big sister Belinda, all of four, were in the backyard of their father's vet hospital. It had the hills hoist, a patch of concrete and a little bit of lawn and a tree or two. The girl's mother was bringing in the washing. There was also a dog in that small backyard. There was a Doberman that had been brought in to be put down because it was savage and my father didn't put it down. But my mother didn't like the dog. She was frightened of it. She thought it was, you know, she feared it was dangerous. So my father had gone out and my mother actually... Uh, chained the dog up to the tree in the back garden. The dog's been chained up and clean washings being folded into the basket. Um, I was riding my little dinky, which is uh, like a, a tricycle, round and round and round the little patch of concrete. And my dinky had a squeaky wheel. And my mother was just thinking, oh, I really must do something about that wheel. That sound is awful. 
The sound seemed to madden the dog. And without any warning at all, it lunged forward and it uh, seized me and dragged me off the little um, tricycle. It seized my head in its jaws. So the, um, the lower, the canines of the lower jaw went straight through the back of my head and into the brain. And the, um, the teeth of the upper jaw went straight through the corner of my eye and into the brain. Um, I also had half my ear torn off and um, the, the, that, you know, the soft kind of skull was um, torn and rent. My mother had to snap the dog's jaws open to get it to, to release me. Four-year-old Belinda was sent running inside for cloth nappies. And my mother wrapped my head in, in the nappies and then with my sister holding on to her, she ran out onto the, onto the highway and flagged down a passing motorist. I bled all over the poor man's car. I was, was taken to Royal North Shore. When the triage nurse unwound the cloth from around my head, the man fainted, the man who picked us up, because the damage was so severe. I was operated on. I had more than 200 stitches um, all over my head and my ear was sewn back on, slightly crooked. Um, and I didn't wake up after the operation. I, I was in a coma for about six weeks. Um, and the dog's jaws were dirty. And so, um, you know, saliva and, and dirt had got into the grey matter of the brain. So I had meningitis, um, which is... Uh, infection of the menses of the brain. And then I ended up with encephalitis, um, which is uh, inflammation, infection of the brain itself. So really dangerous um, diseases, a very high fever. I was kept on a, a bed of ice with fans blowing cold air on me. My mother was told um, that it was it was very unlikely that I would I would survive, and that if I did survive, I would be quite likely be you know very brain damaged. They couldn't tell yet how extensive the brain damage would be. So um, the the doctors wanted to do an operation when they inserted a stent um, to drain off the infection and, and and the fluids. My mum was a trained nurse and she knew that that was an operation that had never succeeded. No one had ever survived it. So she she wouldn't sign the permission papers. So the doctors went away to get a a more important doctor to try and convince her. And this is the story that, that my mum tells me. So she sat next to my bed. She held onto my hand. Um, she bent and she kissed me on the forehead and she said, oh, Katie, come back. Katie, please come back. And I, I did. I opened my eyes. Um, I, I, I smiled up at her and I must have looked like a little baby Frankenstein because there was all stitches and swelling and bruising and everything else. And um, according to my mum, my first words were, I hungry. And so... I've got all, all my medical records and so there's this really sweet little notice. One of the notices wrote, um, Katie up in playpen drinking milk. <laughs> so, you know, um, once I woke up, I was, I was pretty okay. I was left with um, a stammer 
which may be because of of neurological damage because of the um, dog attack or it may simply be because of the emotional trauma. Complications upon complications followed for Kate. Years of chronic illness, corrective surgery and long, lonely stretches convalescing, often riding the waves of extremely high fevers. Because I don't have any memory of the dog attack, but I do have memory, many memories of being in hospital, any child in hospital hurts and upsets me. Going into a hospital makes me feel sick and anxious, the smell of the place. Um, so that's, that's the shadow that it has, has cast over my life, is the, the experience of being a little girl left in hospital. From Kate's poem, Scars. I do not remember dog who taught me the precarious balance between worlds. I do remember a fevered world. Pulsing. How the relation between objects is altered. I am small. I am big. My hand floats a huge octopus. Trees growing out of my heart. Trees a planet away. Sounds roaring, voices never real. The barrier between life and death is extremely fragile. It's like tissue. As a child, because I was so imprisoned within the within my own body, but also within the prison of pain and the prison of the hospital, it's like being in jail. Um, I was able to slip out of my body at will. And it was, uh, you, know, you know, books were a very large part of that. The ability to step out of my body and into a book or to be able to recall the book or the physical sensation of hovering above your body and looking down at yourself, you know, from above. All of those things were experiences that were very vivid and real to me as a sick child. And this sense of, um, of the vastness of the universe and the smallness of our souls, this sense of infinity. Um, you know, I've been very aware of it from a very young age and I'm, I'm always fascinated in near-death experiences. I'm always fascinated by people's personal ghost stories, you know, accounts of astral travelling, because these are things that um, I did at will as a child. The first time you come to understand the reality of death is your first step towards wisdom. Any child that becomes aware of the reality of death, of the, the, the reality of nothingness, of our life being snuffed out, can never come back from that. Kate's mother had a Labrador called Sammy. Sammy was so placid, she would carry a basket in her mouth to the corner store and bring it home with a loaf of bread. My mother had to train me to love dogs again. Apparently when my mum got me home, whenever I saw the dog, I would be absolutely hysterical with fear. Sammy was enlisted to help Kate. So mum would sit with me on her lap and then she'd call the dog in and I would tense and begin to cry and she would stop the dog. And Sammy would sit, stay, 
and then she'd soothe me and the dog would come a little bit closer and I'd get frightened and she'd stop, stay and then soothe me. And so basically she desensitised me. And I did not know this for many years. I, I just thought that um, I, I was fine with the dogs because I didn't remember the accident. But hearing this story from my mum, I realised that she taught me to love dogs again. <laughs> Is that why you were uncomfortable? Is that what was wrong? Curl up and go to sleep, baby. Curl up and go to sleep. <laughs> Gummy, it's okay. Just give me a kiss. Your ears are cold. While this desensitisation training was going on, Kate's family still lived at the hospital where her father was the vet. They stayed there for another few years. Once we moved out of the vet hospital and we had a, a house with a big garden, we were able to have even more pets. We had every kind of pet you can imagine. We've had pet lambs. Um, we've had horses in our back garden. Um, we were also um, rescue carers. And so if anyone found an injured possum or um, an injured bird, we would end up looking after it. My parents were the first breeders of Ridgebacks in this country. Uh, so my childhood was, <laughs> you know, we, we always just had Ridgebacks and they were always having puppies and they have like 11 or 12 puppies at a time. It used to be like feeding time at the zoo because they all wanted to eat each other's food. But, you know, we all... We all looked after them, we, we all shared them, and the animals were very much a part of our life. Um, you know, we weren't the, the, the type of people that said that the, that the dog had to stay outside. I mean, not only was my father a vet, but so was my, uh, you know, his sister, my aunt. So it was kind of vet family. Despite all of this, being a vet was never in Kate's mind. I had an extremely strong vocation. I always knew that I wanted to be a writer, and never, ever wanted to, to do anything else. One of the things that was quite important for us is, is learning that you can love animals, you can live with them and care for them and lavish them with love, but you don't have to be a vet. Here she comes. Thunderpaws, we call her. And so we come to Lola. Kate's previous and much-loved family dog died last year. And her husband wasn't keen on the chaos a new pup can bring. My children and I had a conspiracy to convince my husband that we needed to get a new puppy. My middle boy was doing his HSC and he said he couldn't do his HSC without a dog. And so we prepared a presentation for my husband. We wrote up the 10 reasons why we needed to get a new puppy. And then my daughter practiced the speech and then she presented it to him. And you may have noticed that mum has not been going for her daily walk. And so if we don't get a puppy, mum is going to get really, really fat and unfit. And then it is a, a scientifically proven fact that having a dog lowers cholesterol and heart problems. And then, of course, our you know, Ridgebacks were bred to hunt lions. And so point number 10 was, and if we got a new Rhodesian Ridgeback puppy, we will never have to fear being attacked by lions. And you never have. And we never have. <laughs> it was so sweet and funny and so charming that, of course, my husband just melted. Watching Kate with Lola, she's got an incredible ease with her. They really understand each other. I wonder how much she learned from her dad about training dogs. Um, well, you know, my dad you know, being a vet, um, we 
a lot of people would bring in dogs to be put down and he would normally keep them, save them and rehabilitate them. He was a bit of a dog whisperer. You know, people would bring dogs to him for him to to train, to, um, you know, beat them of bad habits. That's why a dangerous dog was in the yard that day. I mean, you know, some dogs have been so badly mistreated that they are damaged and can't be saved. I, I, I love the fact that my father thought that he could save this dog. Of course, the dog had to be put down. Um, Immediately. Yeah, and my, and my father did that. Um, and, you know, of course, um, you, you know, you can't see a beloved child, you know, go through a terrible event like that and not be, be overwhelmed with grief and guilt and remorse and I wish I, that I hadn't. And, but, you know, those, the, 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 those feelings are natural but irrelevant. What, what happened, happened. And there's no going back. You know, terrible accidents do happen sometimes and it's, it's nobody's fault. What's more important is the outcome and also the healing from it um, and also the lessons learned from it too. Well, I could not live without a dog. Um, I've always had a dog. Almost always. Between moving out of the family zoo and marrying another dog lover, Kate's lived just three years without a dog in her life, on her couch in her care. Dogs are very intuitive, even almost psychic sometimes. So if any of my children are hurt or upset by anything, our dogs know straight away and they know that they need physical comfort. You know, so they'll go and they'll, you know, you know, press their bodies up against them, put their paws on their lap, you know, lay her head on on their arm or on their lap. Um, we'll whine a little bit, you know, knowing that the child needs comfort and doing their best to do so. I say to my children sometimes, if if you listened and watched as closely as dogs do, you too would be always be able to be aware of what people are thinking and feeling around you. Intuition is really just trained instincts, but you know, so we can train ourselves to be more compassionate um, to other people. You know, watching how you know, watching how they move through the world. You know, their body language, how they express their thoughts and feelings non-verbally. It only makes us better people. My eldest son, um, when he was in high school, he had to interview someone and he interviewed me. And one of his questions was, if you could go back in time and change something in your life, what would you change? And I said, well, I wouldn't change anything. And he said, but mum, if you could go back and say to your father, keep the dog in a cage keep the dog away from your children, wouldn't you? And I was saying, well, but if I change that one event in my life, what else would I be changing? And would I be who I am now? And would I have all the incredible gifts and all the wisdoms that I've learned in this life without it? The risk is too great. I'd rather have the dog attack and, and be who I am. When she was young, Kate thought surviving the attack had given her power over dogs. But what was given instead was love in the place fear might be. Sincere thanks to Kate Forsyth for sharing her story and Lola's. Oh My Dog is an alongside radio production by me, Michelle Ransom-Hughes, with original music and sound design by Saya Vogel, script editing by Lee Redfern, 
please get in touch with your feedback or ideas for our next season. Find us at ohmydogpodcast.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter too. You could also give us a rating on iTunes if you like what we do. That'd be grand. Grand.